Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada. Welcome back to a multi-part series covering the shocking murder of Taylor Sampson. In the prior episodes of this series, we were joined by Kayla Hounsell, author of the best-selling book on this case, First Degree, From Med School to Murder. During our time with Kayla, we learned about Taylor's life, the events surrounding his death, and the case investigators would ultimately use to convict his killer, Will Sanderson. After completing the narrative I presented during the first two episodes, I felt like there was still a bit more to be said. When one hears a story like that of Taylor's murder, it's hard not to digest the twists, turns, and surprises the way you would a work of fiction. But of course, as you know, this is a real-life tragedy that at worst destroyed and at best forever changed the lives of many regular people like you and I. Kayla and I made a point to discuss the character of Taylor Sampson and the role he played in the lives of many who stood heartbroken on the sidelines of this case. But hearing Kayla and I discuss that, two people removed from this story, it can only take us so far. For part three, I wanted to find a sort of capstone to place on this series. Something that brings the events surrounding Taylor's death into the right context. That being the senseless murder of a human being. One loved by many as a son, a friend, a student, an entrepreneur, and so much more. To help tell us exactly what it means to lose Taylor, I've invited one of the people who know him best. Someone who looked up to Taylor as both a role model, a sometimes nuisance, an eternal protector, and a best friend. He's my new favorite person. Taylor's amazing younger brother, Connor Sampson. During the research into my episodes covering Taylor's murder, I found near-endless references to the close relationship he shares with his younger brother, Connor. Perhaps it's due to the fact that I, too, have an older brother. As I've learned about the ripple effects caused by Taylor's death, I often found myself picturing it from Connor's point of view, as uncomfortable as that is. Now, Shortly after releasing the episodes, I reached out to Connor and invited him to meet for a short talk about his life with Taylor and what it's like to lose your brother in such a tragic, public way. Connor graciously agreed to meet, and as you'll hear, it was great. Emotional, of course, but still great. I won't waste too much time here with an introduction. You'll be able to hear it in his voice shortly. But Connor radiates a very unique, yet undeniably positive energy. When we met, I don't know if it was his big smile or his bow tie, but instantly I was at ease and overcome by a feeling of... This guy is awesome. So without any further delay, I'll get to my conversation with Taylor's younger brother, Connor Sampson.
Well, hello, my name is Connor, and I am Taylor Sampson's younger brother. Now, a lot of people who wrote about Taylor's life make a point to describe his relationship with you, specifically his role, like almost as a protector in your life. Could you just describe the relationship you had growing up with Taylor? Well, growing up with Taylor was like most siblings in today's world, you know. We fight, we love each other. I'm gonna miss getting stitches because back when we were kids, I'd always get stitches from him and no one else. It's kind of <laughs> hilarious in a way, but who knows? I, I have an older brother, so I get it. My older brother, I remember I was sick once and he offered to make me oatmeal. And when he brought me the oatmeal, I remember it looked a little funny. When I took the first bite, I realized he put a bunch of red pepper in it. <laughs> but anyway, where people describe him as being the, the protector, like, could you give an example or a story of a time where he kind of stepped in your life and saved you from something? Okay, this is going to be kind of a hilarious story, but not at the same time. So back in 2015, before this all happened, I started my first job at this fish factory in New Brunswick. So this co-worker of mine goes, well, tell your mom I said hello. And I'm like, so hey, mom, this co-worker, I'm not gonna give the name, said hello. And then my mom's like, that name sounds familiar, so who is he? And I go, I don't know, just some guy that said just say hello and so she calls my brother and she goes well such and such you know said hello she goes is he giving you a hard time is he giving connor a hard time if you have to i'll come get in this car right now from halifax all the way to amherst and just show him (laughs) (laughs) because of all his friends that he always gave a hard time to okay like younger he thought that he was gonna give me a hard time at work but he didn't Okay. And him and I became friends, though, okay. like the co-worker and I, so it was more of a funny thing. Wow, so he's just he was just ready to step in. <laughs> yeah. And how, what's the age difference between you? Two years. Two years, okay. He probably ended up in Halifax before you, is that right? <laughs> Correct. He moved here in 2011 with my father, Dean, and then he went to Dalhousie, and then around 2017... Mom and I decided, because of everything that happened with the impact, decided to move down here to get away. So there was a period of time where you were still back in Amherst and he was in Halifax? Correct. Did you Were you still staying close in touch during that time? Uh, not quite often. Just say, hey, how are you type thing. Just a yeah. basic conversation. Like he'd be back for the holidays. Yeah, he'd and- be back for the holidays and then... Yeah go back on his merry old way (laughs) okay so you didn't when when this all happened you weren't living in halifax no i was up in amherst you were still there then this this story involves taylor's connection with with the drug trade Mm -hmm. were you aware of that i I honestly didn't know much about it i know he sold every now and then like little stuff but not like a big as they said it was The first article I found announcing him being missing, it actually showed, like, you were actually the photograph, you know, when you're a missing persons poster. Do you recall how you first found out that he was missing? I found out about Taylor being missing when my mom and I were walking home from the store, actually, up at the mall, mm-hmm. and we lived downtown, so we started to walk down. And I decided to check my phone, and at 6 o'clock in the evening, my father, Dean, messaged me on Facebook Messenger and told me that Taylor went missing. Since last night, we don't know where he was. I thought I let your mom know. From it, uh, my mom called her friend and told her that Taylor's gone missing. And they're like, what do you mean Taylor's gone missing? And then she told him. And her friend from Halifax came all the way to Amherst. And the same night traveled us right back down. 
Oh, so you, you came right to Halifax as soon as you just found out? As soon as we found out, we landed here around 11 o'clock at night on the 16th. Okay. So that, that would be pretty quick uh, to, to react and come right away. When, when word first got to you and your mom that he was missing, what were you thinking? Like, was there ever a point where you're like, it's probably nothing? Or, or pretty much right away were you thinking something's going on? I honestly thought nothing was happening. I thought he just, you know, didn't respond or anything to something. And were you involved, like, when, when you first arrived here, I'm assuming there was some kind of a search. Were you involved in, like, actively looking for him? And if not, what was happening? Uh, I wasn't involved in a bit of the search. And from we always looked in the dumpsters around the Dalhousie University area to know anything. And also, I went to one of the stores here, and I asked them if they can do anything about, like, print off photocopies and I and one of the stores actually decided to do t- it was either 200 or 300 copies mm-hmm. just to print off for the posters and that for absolutely no charge at all that's not okay so you were involved in actually getting those posters yes. up around downtown now at what point did your family and you learn that there was more to it than just you know he's missing it seemed like something bad had happened we found out a few days later and sometime in the evening uh, my mom and I were coming from the store, and detectives were asked to speak to my mom. And mom just told me, go back into the apartment where we were all at. And so when they came back into the apartment, we got all of us to sit down and told that someone was found out murdering Taylor Sampson, my brother. And my mind just went out the window, and I blacked out. And then the next thing I know, I was in the hospital at the moment. And in, in you were in Halifax when this happened? Yes, I was in Halifax. And because of the impact that someone, the detective told us that some, we found someone with the first degree murder, I guess I had a really bad panic attack. And the next thing I know, I'm in the hospital more concerned about my health card expired six months ago than <laughs> anything else. <laughs> wow. And that was kind of good. I was going to get into this with the, my next few questions is that we now know that there was this investigation where there was, you know, information kind of popping up. And then at the end, he was charged with murder and arrested. Your family, you weren't aware of these like kind of clues and tips and evidence and stuff like um, you didn't find out that it was a murder until he was actually arrested. Correct. I kept trying to keep myself out of the loop, keep my mind distracted from anything going around. Do you know if like was your do you know if your mom was kind of working cl- or staying really up to date with the police or were you kind of separate from it until the- uh, my mom was pretty much like right into it and then she said don't tell people about it but mom never listens moms never do it's your own mom <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> When did you start learning about who was accused and what was thought to have happened? Like, were, were you given much information before trial? Uh, Mom kept me out of the loop of it because mm-hmm. she didn't want me to get any effect with it. Mm-hmm. Because I was work- also went back to work and people would always ask me constantly about it, but I couldn't give them the answer. Oh, okay. So I kept myself away from it as much as possible. But when people brought it up to me at work back in Amherst, it was like... <sighs> I don't know what to tell you because I keep it to myself or if I ask mom about it, she'd just ignore the question and just move on. Yeah. And Amherst, for people who are listening that don't know, that's a small town. So people would have known you and Taylor. And when this, this was big news at the time. So you would have, 
I'm sure getting been getting asked a lot. Yeah, like my Facebook was exploding and everything, social media, everything was exploding at the time. And people would be stopping at work and yeah, even people would come out with their cars and be like, "Oh my god, I'm so terribly sorry," and just give you a hug and then go on with their own merry old day. Oh yeah, when this happened and still today, Taylor has never turned up. So when you first heard that this had happened, that it was thought to be a murder. Was it hard to accept that, given the fact that he hadn't been found? Like, I feel like if it was me, I would always have this part of my brain that was, like, holding out hope it's all a big misunderstanding. Yeah, it's different because you're like, well, if a privacy found with murder when there's no body to be found, mm-hmm. you're, like, suspiciously going through thinking what's going on, yeah, and you don't know what to react to because you can still be out there somewhere, but... You never know. Mm-hmm. Was there a time, like especially early on, that like you or your family had doubts that this had happened, and or did it, or when the police told you that someone was arrested, you all accepted that that's what happened? Uh, well, most people accepted it, mm-hmm. and there was a few of us that didn't accept it. Mom being one of them because her baby's not home, mm-hmm. so she didn't accept the fact that he's actually gone. All right, so I'm going to move on to a few questions kind of about about the trial and about your um, experiences with it. Well, the kind of funny thing is I didn't attend the trial at all. Be honest with you, anything about the trial, okay. I cut myself out of the loop. A lot of times you're photographed. But were you like in the courtroom and not in the trial? Or? Uh, it was only during the end I was there, okay. like, when the set, like when they were doing the deliberation and such. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I kept, I took my time off work. I went to Cape Breton to see family and everything else. Keep the mind distracted. That's yeah. All. What was the reason you didn't attend? Did you think you would ha- find it difficult to um, sit through that? I think I'd find it too difficult to handle at the mm-hmm. time. And is, do you still feel that way? Like, do you, just uh, maybe Kayla's book, did you read that? Like, would you be able to take that information in i could but just not now yeah maybe future on but just not now i'll move on now to talking about the the idea of closure you often hear people talk about you know, uh, the trial's done, they're found guilty, now the family will get closure. Like, you've lost your, your older brother, your protector, your family have lost a loved one. Knowing that the person who did it is getting the basically the maximum of what Canada has to offer for justice, does that make you feel any better, or does that do anything for your emotions? Well, after the trial, I felt kind of ecstatic that he's get the 25 years life sentence it's gonna help in a way that he can't do this anyone else Mm -hmm. but it's not gonna replace that someone's gone in our lives but it's the fact that we got it all done and over with with this trial you know i've heard quite a few interviews with your mom or not interviews with your mom but just news clips where she's she's speaking specifically after the sentencing when she she made a remark about where is where's Taylor how how important is it for your mom and your family to find Taylor's remains and and how and is that something that is with you all the time knowing that he's out there somewhere it's difficult because there's nowhere to actually go for you know 
funeral or anything. We only have like a plaque down at Dalhousie with it, like with his name on it in his honor. And also, like, there's nowhere to go. The bias is out there somewhere, but we don't know where it could be at. And it's heart wrenching, heartbreaking, knowing that we don't know where he is. And it must be hard for your mother as well. The, the, I saw, there's one clip in, in particular that I saw where you could, I could see her almost like chewing on her words, like the pain of knowing, like a, myself and my father. And mm. I, I just, I couldn't even allow my mind to picture how she must feel or how you must feel. I have an older brother as well. And yeah, I think, um, I think that would be really important. Do you feel like it's almost a separate kind of attack on your family for him to not give this information? I would, it would make me crazy knowing that someone knows and they're not telling. Yeah, it does at time because you don't know why he won't tell. Mm-hmm. We don't have his mindset or anything whatsoever, but the fact that he knows what happened and the fact that he doesn't tell makes you just want to go insane in a way. <laughs> yeah. This uh, this question specifically, we're just where Christmas had just passed. Mm. I was doing a lot of the writing and reading and research during my Christmas holidays. My family's together, you know, brother, my kids, and all this stuff. As I was as I was doing a lot of the work, I couldn't help but think of I was picturing you and your mom celebrating, you know, the holidays with this obvious absence in the family. I'm just wondering how the loss of your older brother. How does that affect kind of the everyday life that your family has and your enjoyment of the holidays can you just talk a bit about how this has changed your family well what taylor gone with not coming home from the holidays though it's been a huge game changer but the support of all his friends during the time of that makes up for it so it's like basically having taylor home but not home at the same time i greatly appreciate them for every step of it and i can't thank them enough from the bottom of my heart and what about for for you personally, like I, I, I see you as um, you come across as a really kind of genuine, gentle, giant kind of guy. And you seem so positive. And even in your photos, like I, it, I'll see um, the photos of outside of the courtroom or wherever it was. There's one photo in particular where it looks like your mom is breaking down and you're just smiling. But I think it's that's just your, you. You just seem like a really happy guy. How, how does this kind of loss affect affect you as a person like this is such a, a dark event to come into your life well that photo that was taken to begin with we were both actually kind of laughing at the same time because i realized that there was a button missing on my shirt and i'm like mom there's a button missing on my shirt and she looks at me she goes oh my god there's a button missing on your shirt and we just started to have a laugh attack about oh it god. that's why where was this at was that in the court that was at the courthouse oh. because i realized it's like because I'm holding my shirt and I'm just laughing because of the fact that my shirt, my buttons missing out oh, my shirt. God. So and someone's going to take a photo. Of course. So it's a photo taken. I'm just laughing at the same time. Okay. The, the article I saw that photo in was talking about the sentence. So it in was. my mind, I'm thinking, Everyone you just thinks found it's the worst part, but why is Connor smiling? But Linda looks like she's upset at the time. That's okay. in my mind. I, okay. I'm just thinking when I saw the picture, I don't know you personally, but you strike me as someone who's just always smiling and laughing. And every time I see you, you're smiling and laughing. <laughs> but how does like a, a dark moment, because this is obviously a big part of your life. How, how did it change you to have such, you know, a, a dark event to visit your happy-go-lucky life? Well, at the time of the murder, when I was 20, 
and I'm and I'm now as we speak 23. It changed quite a bit, I would say. I don't trust many as people as I used to back then, and it's a shame something like this really changes a lot of people when it comes to murders or anything like that, because you know it impacts people differently. It impacts it can impact you in a physical, mental, or different type of way, mm-hmm. and it hurts too. Mm-hmm. Do you, is it something where, like you, you mentioned, like the, your ability to trust people, like when you meet somebody new? I'm thinking when I was 23, I was very into the idea of meeting new people. Are, do you find yourself a bit more cautious now than maybe you would have been? I find myself more cautious than anything. Back when I was 20, I didn't really care much. Mm-hmm. As I used to know when I'm 23, three years later when it happened, just have to double check on everything and make sure everyone's an actual genuine person and is actually not going to hurt me. Okay. Like, especially when I moved here to the city back in 2017, when I transferred from my workplace from Amherst to here, I had to start myself all fresh new like I was a new person at work. But I've been doing it for almost two years at the time, so... I have to start. I had to start to gain my trust again through everyone that I worked with. Mm-hmm. And in Halifax, like where where you're living now and, and working, your face was included in a lot of these articles. People know who you are. How often is someone approaching you with about this story? Oh boy, uh, quite a bit actually at work, especially. But they don't mention it. They're, every blue moon, you'll go. Oh my God, you're that one person. Since brother from Dalhousie, how are you doing? How's your mom doing? And you're just like, don't want to deal with it. I'm at work. Yeah. <laughs> and that uh, that comment by that fictitious person raises the question: How is your mom doing with this at this point? If you can talk on her, her behalf as far as her her healing, I really can't talk to her on her behalf. All I know is that she wants Taylor to be found and come home. Is what what do you do to help? preserve his memory and, and keep Taylor in your life. So I tend to look at my old social media posts like through Facebook, Instagram, anything like that. That I wrote backbone him like silly status is saying, Oh my god, my brother's drunk and he's back from college. Sounds like a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> and then back in twenty sixteen I was actually able to do the post optimist for Dalhousie University and accept his Bachelor of Science degree in physics with his girlfriend. And when, as I mentioned before, the fact that we go to that plaque for Dalhousie every August 15th, we go and put flowers down in his honor for him. And we still have his childhood teddy bear back when he was born in 1993. <laughs> nice. I want to end this episode with some thanks and dedications. I want to dedicate this episode to the family, friends, and memory of Taylor Sampson. Although I've never met Taylor personally, I've spoken to many who knew him, and without question, he was an inspirational person, full of life, taken way too soon, and missed dearly by many, including his brother Connor. Next, I want to thank Connor Sampson for taking the time to meet with me and for sharing some memories of his time with Taylor both good and bad. Connor, a tragedy like this couldn't have happened to a better person. Hearing you speak about how Taylor's friends have supported you since his death filled my heart. It's people like you and stories like that that restore my faith in humanity. 
I think Taylor's fortunate to have been blessed with such a great brother to have shared his life with. Now, I'd like to thank the amazing Canadian band, Vox Somnia, for again providing the music for this episode of Nighttime. The music you've been enjoying is an instrumental version of one of their great songs. I've linked to it in the show notes. And with that, I'll conclude this episode of Nighttime. If you're interested in hearing more from Nighttime, please check out the patron group. It's a dollar a month. It allows you to support the show as well as access the supporter exclusive feed, which provides ad-free and early releases of episodes in addition to some prior episodes no longer available on the free feed. You can join by visiting patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. With that mentioned, I'd like to thank the current patrons of the show and welcome the newest members to the group, Kelly, the Nerd Runner Mandeville, and Yvonne Byrne. I sincerely appreciate the support you show nighttime. For anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't help financially, you can give me a big hand by telling your friends about me and leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts or whichever equivalent you use. If any of you listening want to stay up to date with my activities both on and off the show, follow me on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. I use the handle at NighttimePod. If anyone has any story ideas or wants to give some feedback on the show, I'd love to hear from you at NighttimePodcast at gmail.com. Now until next time, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte. Copyright Jordan Bonaparte.